All right. Well, I'm so glad you're a part of our service today. And I, I want you to turn in your Bibles if you have them or if you have a Bible app on your mobile device. You can also follow along on the screen. I want to read Luke's account of that first Christmas from Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, and I'll begin with verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what he had told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. And then we go on and you hear about the baby Jesus being committed to the Lord in the temple and being named Jesus. This is an incredible story. This is what Christmas is about, the coming of the Messiah. This is a story that's hard for some to really process. For many of you, today will be a great encouragement. You're already a person of faith in Christ and you're leaning in and this is a great celebration and I trust you'll leave encouraged by this service as you enter into this celebration with your family and friends the next day or two. For others of you, perhaps this story is a little bit harder. Maybe you've never really heard it before. Maybe you've heard it and you've been skeptical. Maybe you've heard how the scriptures describe us as fallen before God in need of a savior, all of us, and that God sent Jesus, God the Son, to walk in human flesh, to live a sinless life, to go to the cross, to take our punishment, to be raised from the dead. And now, by putting our faith in Christ and Christ alone, we can have a relationship with him. And for some of you, that story seems a little absurd, a little ridiculous. Maybe you've had some skepticism or some doubt. And I trust today that you'll be a part of an honest quest to know who Jesus is and how you can have a relationship with him. Maybe there are some here who grew up in a Christian home or in a, in a setting of Christianity and either it just doesn't make sense to you logically or perhaps somehow someone didn't display Christ to you well and so 
you're even hurt by other Christians or you're hurt by the church or maybe this church in some way or another and you've kind of pushed Jesus out of your life, I trust that this Christmas and even during this time, you'll consider who Christ is in your life and maybe you'll begin to put those pieces of understanding who Jesus is back together. You see, this story is a little bit crazy, the story of the manger. A baby, not a full-grown man, in a manger, not on a throne, in a stable, a barn, not in, not in uh, some great palace in Bethlehem, this little shepherd town, not in a place or seat of power like Jerusalem or even Rome. Is, is, it even, is it even possible that this could be the story of God's grand plan of redemption? For some, it's easy to dismantle this story, to take it apart, and to just believe that it doesn't really have much to do with their lives today. And yet, this story is an incredible story of God's plan. Even as you understand the story of Scripture, you begin to understand that um, God knows that his plan of salvation, to have a relationship with us, doesn't always make sense. God himself understands that. In the book of Isaiah, the, the prophet Isaiah quotes God, and, and God's saying about his ways compared to our ways, he says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. You see, this story is a bit absurd. It is a bit strange. It is a bit illogical from a human standpoint, from the finite standpoint, but from the God who created us, there is this great desire that we would know him and walk with him. And by the way, you didn't know I was a master carpenter, did you? It's quite a secret. Matter of fact, it's a secret my wife and my kids don't even know. So far, all I've proven is I can tear something apart. But can I put it back together again? It does seem a bit absurd when you think about it, the story of God. As a matter of fact, God's logic in this story is somewhat illogical. Paul even said in, in his book to the Corinthians, he said that the cross becomes foolishness. It seems silly. It's not only illogical, it becomes almost crazy. And then he says in that same chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. That's why he sent the angel to shepherds, people who didn't have power or great influence or wealth, because God doesn't work the same way man works. God's ways are not our ways, and we can be glad for that. And so if you've struggled with the story, of Christmas and of Christ and redemption in Christ, God knows that that is okay. He knows that this story from a human standpoint does seem absurd. It does appear to be a little bit illogical. Maybe it doesn't make complete sense. But the story is a simple story. It's God coming to us because we can't go to God. A lot of people think, well, if, if really there was a plan to be right with God, we'd have to do something, go to church enough, be good enough, give enough, 
be moral enough so we'd earn our way to heaven. You can't earn your way to heaven. We can't make our way to God, but God made his way to us when Jesus arrived in that manger. Philippians 2 describes how God the Son came to earth for us. Philippians 2, 6 through 8 says, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privilege. He set aside all the privileges of glory. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. God encased himself in human flesh. And when he appeared in human form, in that manger, he humbled himself. He wasn't raised in a palace. He was raised in a carpenter's home, in a simple setting, a setting that um, just defies logic that he would arrive there. And in that kind of home, and in that kind of way. As a matter of fact, we read, and he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross, a common cross that was not a place of great honor and power and privilege. It was a place of shame. It was a place of embarrassment. And yet, he purposely and intentionally went to the cross. He did that for you and for me. As a matter of fact, Jesus said to his followers one day, to his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they said, well, some say you're the Old Testament prophet Elijah. Some say Jeremiah, you've come back to life. Some even say you're, you're John the Baptist who announced your arrival. And Jesus looked at them and said, who do you say that I am? And Peter was so clear. Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah the son of the living God. You're the son of the living God. And you know, Peter would go on to have some doubts. Many of those disciples would go on to have some doubts. They would struggle. And yet, when doubting Thomas, as we know him, asked to see the nail prints in Jesus' hands, Jesus was okay with that. Because Jesus understood something that the scriptures understand, and that is that doubt can actually, sincere doubt can actually lead to deeper and more genuine faith. Having some level of doubt is a good thing. Because in, in life, as we embrace Jesus as Savior and then we walk with him, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we live by faith and not by sight. You see, there's a place at which you can know the truth, you can understand who Christ is, but there's still a place that it doesn't all completely add up from the human side, and it takes a step of faith to actually embrace Christ as Savior and to walk with him. I like how Philip Yancey says it in his book, Reaching for the Invisible God. Yancey says, doubt always coexists with faith, for in the presence of certainty, who would need faith at all? There's a moment that it, it requires doubt. Actually, again, sincere doubt can lead to genuine and deeper faith. So if you struggle with the story, that's okay. It's about what you're gonna do with Jesus, what you're gonna do with his claims of who he is and why he came. What are you gonna do with him? Maybe some of you will struggle even after my message. You're still grappling with it. Maybe you just say, I'm already checked out. I've already pushed Jesus and Christianity and faith out of my life. Can I just encourage you this Christmas to lean in with the doubt and skepticism you might have, even if you've deconstructed your faith? 
Can I just ask you to do a sincere search for who Jesus really is and how he wants to have a relationship with you? I want to challenge you. Take the book of John. It's one of the Gospels that records the story of Jesus. Start with the Gospel of John and just read John 1 today. Then read John 2 tomorrow and 3 the next day. Read one chapter of John once a day. And before you read the chapter, just say, God, show me who Jesus is. Show me who Jesus is. And watch how God will reveal to you who Christ is through his word. I encourage you to read that. And if you're reading that, maybe you're a bit of a skeptic and looking at this story, it doesn't make sense, this manger, this baby. It doesn't make sense that we can be saved by faith. We're saved through that grace that's offered us in Jesus. Can I even give you another resource? There's a great little booklet by Rebecca McLaughlin who tries to answer some of the objections to the Christmas story, to the good news of Jesus and why he came. It's called, Is Christmas Unbelievable? And it addresses four key questions around Christmas and faith. We have some in our bookstore. It's just a 60-page little book. It's a great resource if you're struggling with the reality of the story of Christmas and what it's all about. I would urge you, I would urge you to trust Jesus be open to Jesus in your life and what God would have for you in your own relationship with him. Again, God can handle your doubt and your uncertainty. It's not a problem to him. He knows that from the human standpoint, it doesn't always make sense. But as you go on an honest search and an honest quest, I think it'll begin to come together. It'll become meaningful in your life. And you say, well, why would God go to all these lengths to make this plan the plan that he'd come in a manger, live a sinless life, die on the cross? Why would God do all that? Well, the scriptures are really clear about that. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, we couldn't even clean ourselves up. We couldn't even be right with God when God demonstrated, showed us his incredible love. His love is the basis of our salvation, that God would love us so much that he would send his son for us. If you read in John those chapters I suggested, if you're questioning who Christ is and what it means to have a relationship with him. And you read John, you'll come to John 3:16, one of the most famous verses in the Bible. In that verse, it's really clear. Why did God do all this? Why is this story so incredible, so amazing? It sounds crazy and illogical from the human standpoint because God loves us. John 3:16 says, "For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The story of Christmas, the story of the manger, is ultimately the story of the cross. The story of God loving us so much, he sent Jesus for us. For some of you, thinking of the manger to the cross, the journey of Jesus here on earth to provide your redemption, this is an encouraging story. It helps you in your journey, and today I trust you'll be blessed and encouraged and grateful for the grace God has shown you as you accepted Christ as your Savior.
For others of you who are skeptical or maybe have some doubts, can I remind you God has room for that as you come to him and just simply rest in him? You just tell him, God, I've got some doubts, but I know I need a savior. I put my faith in Jesus and he will establish a relationship with you and walk with you. And in that sincere doubt like Thomas had, your faith will get even stronger and more authentic as you walk with him. And for those of you perhaps have pushed Christianity out of your life or Christ out of your life, can I challenge you again to read a chapter in John each day? Ask God to show you Jesus afresh. What will it harm you? What scares you about doing that? Can I just challenge you to do that? And see if God doesn't show you Christ. Not the person who wasn't a good example of a Christian or the people who hurt you or the illogical nature of this plan of God, but see Jesus afresh and embrace him again in your life. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you from the journey of Jesus from the manger to the cross. This plan is illogical, it's sometimes crazy, but it really boils down to your amazing grace. Father, I pray for those who know you, may they even right now just stop and thank you. May they be able to thank you and be reminded this Christmas of this gift you've given in your son. Meet them in this moment. Remind them of your love, no matter what they're going through. May they see the simplicity and the beauty of the manger and the cross. Father, I pray for those who maybe still struggle, have some doubts and skepticism. May they understand that's okay and that you'll receive them as they just take that step of faith. And may they come to Jesus. For those, Father, who've kind of dismantled what the Christmas story is all about, I ask, Lord, that they would go on an honest quest, just letting your word show them your son anew in their lives. And may they embrace faith in Christ, even in the midst of the uncertainty, maybe the struggle of doubt and how they've been hurt in the past. Or people haven't been the example that they should have been. I pray, Father, that everyone in this room and on the broadcast would be able to celebrate with us this glorious occasion. May folks who've put their faith in Christ reach out to a friend, one of our pastors, our, our minister on call, so they can pray with us, we can celebrate with them. Father, thank you for that night so long ago, that holy night. In Jesus' name, amen.